2: and welcome to a friends with fantasy benefits concept podcast i am a bleary-eyed the most bleary chuck anderson that you guys have ever been akin to having uh on a monday morning right now i can be reached at just chucking it on twitter steady eddie steady as a timex our friend andrew dewhurst is with us how is andrew today
0: Andrew's doing all right. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Andrew K Dewhurst.
2: Exactly. How much is the loony compared to the dollar right now? Does that stay pretty? Oh, uh, uh,
0: it fluctuates a bit. I, I mean, last check, it's around thirty percent. But I have a not. Uh, I haven't been to the U.S. in a little while, so I haven't need to actually look at it.
2: So you don't carry around United States money? You don't? <laughs> <States>. <laughs>
0: no. All right. No.
2: I don't know these things. I'm, I'm foolish. I'm a foolish Yankee. I don't know these things, sir.
0: 32% is, is the difference right now. All right. So next time you want to come to Canada, remember that you'll you're, you'll get uh, essentially a third more of your money when you come.
2: Well, my biggest issue, of course, is going to be that I'm going to want to play poker, and I'm not going to understand if I should play on your side or my side. And there is no right answer to that question, is there?
0: Um, no, I suppose not.
2: Okay, because it depends on if you win or lose or something like that. Uh, (laughs) Anyway, I told you I was bleary-eyed. All right, let's talk about something. uh, Fortunately for me, I I included our good friend Andrew in our three-sport draft link where we announce who we're going to pick. So he gets to see the picks roll by which uh, most recently he saw Carson Wentz go as the second quarterback taken off the board, which I thought was uh, was somewhere between fascinating and mind-numbing uh, at this point, since I've not even begun to think about quarterbacks yet as we go into the sixth round. But regardless of all that, the one thing that happened is that there was a huge run on quote-unquote aces, and there's this long-going go- long mantra that you must have a staff ace to anchor your pitching staff when it comes to fantasy baseball. Well, we had this crazy run where seven starting pitchers went uh, very early um, and there was only a, a slight difference between when uh, Severino and and Master, Zen Master Max Scherzer went off the board and then all of a sudden five more went and it got me thinking about staff aces. Now the concept for today was stated as staff aces are all about trust. And if there are less than ten aces, then uncertainty after all the aces, are, after the seven or eight guys are gone, then all of a sudden there's nothing but uncertainty. What is plan B and how do you try and approach it? And we're going to do some of these sort of draft-oriented podcasts now uh, with the scope that understanding what to do with an ace could certainly help you as to what you're going to try and do for keepers if you're in keeper leagues and uh, exactly how much value, trade value-wise, you have that you, when you have an actual ace. So what do you think about the concept in and of itself, Andrew? Do you think I'm cutting the aces significantly short when I say there's seven or eight?
0: No, 7 or 8 feels high to me, really. I mean, I still think of it as like a, you're probably still only looking at like four true aces that you can trust, start in, start out. Uh, And, you know, then you've got a kind of a next tier that follows after that. Um, But, I mean, the, the idea is the same, right? And that, it kind of evolves as we go. As uh, to what you know, what I consider an ace versus what you consider an ace versus the next person, and so on and so forth. So,
2: well, I posed some other questions uh, that were not privy, so I do get to put Andrew on the spot a little bit, which is you know part of my fun. It's part of the part of the power. I'm a powerful man, Andrew. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> uh, one of the questions that came up afterwards is uh, we sort of talked about the fact that that while there's a there's a youth movement within hitters in Major League Baseball right now. Uh, there's a ton of very good youthful hitters everywhere from, you know, Ozzy Albies to, uh, I suppose we could still include Eugenio Suarez as a youthful hitter, but, you know, guys like uh, Acuna and uh, uh, guys like Juan Soto. Uh, what happened to the young pipeline of pitching uh, I made the statement that I don't believe that we've even had a quasi ace for pitching since Jose Barrios. We have not had, a, uh, you know, we have not had a step forward this year of guys like Michael Kopech, guys, guys like Sean Manaya. Do you think that's uh, that's playing into this? That this this feeling that you need an ace. If you don't get one, you would like to have some young and up and coming. Uh, things going on, and I think uh, you know the last true ace uh, seems to have been Aaron Nola uh, that that has stepped forward. Do you agree with the, that assessment as well?
0: Uh, yes and no. I mean, I think Luis Severino's very much stepped forward again this year. Um, he's probably, I think, in, in keeper and, and dynasty style leagues, possibly the most like the most valuable starting pitcher because he is just 24 years old. Uh, depending on how you view the position, um, because you do, I mean, place for place for the Yankees, which is positive and negative. Uh, but yeah, at that age, producing a two thirty one ERA, playing in Yankee Stadium uh, with that lineup behind him, he could be. Uh, I mean, he seems like the most obvious guy if you're looking at like the young young guys moving forward. I mean, guys like Blake Snell, who have have taken, uh, he's taken definitely taken a leap forward this year.
2: Yeah, I think Blake Snell is an important uh, exception uh, to what I'm considering the rule. I guess I was hoping that this even younger wave, which of course you know young now a days includes, I guess mean I'm meaning young in development, um, you know the the Michael Kopech. I was expecting these sort of mid-season guys to be on the verge of stardom, and whether it's because teams are rebuilding and so they're guarding their service time a lot uh, is maybe a factor. I'm hearing less and less buzz. I mean, you don't hear prospect analysts say, well, this guy should be called up. Nobody is, nobody is screaming it from the hilltops. Michael Kopek should be starting every five days on a big league mound. I haven't heard that said yet. Uh, the sort of the the end refinement, that they have a, a base skill, and the end refinement does not seem to be coming along at uh, the pace that I would like. And that's definitely one. That's definitely one thing about all sort of prospect analysis, you know, uh, versus fantasy analysis. Is that fantasy guys are notoriously impatient. Uh, you know, you you invest in, and I'm going to use a, a semi-old time. I wonder how long ago this has been already. But you invest in Alex Gordon, and you're willing to hold him on your roster, you know, because he's the he's the complete stud minor league player of the year, and he's a third baseman, and this is going to work out great. Then all of a sudden he comes up and he thuds, and then after he thuds, he thuds again. Then he has to get sent back down. Then he comes back up as an outfielder I mean there's uh, we are notoriously impatient, and I am impatient right now to find out if there's actually going to be you know these late summer to September call ups that we are getting excited about
0: um, yeah I, I mean it's with the way that baseball sits right now it's an interesting dichotomy because you have because you have kind of the haves and the have nots and they are starkly different from each other um and I mean we also have I mean obviously the biggest factor with pitchers is that they are more volatile because you know UCL seem to tear like paper the uh, <laughs> when it comes to these guys so I mean you have you know the most exciting some of the most exciting starting pitching starting pitchers that we're expecting this year right guys like like Otani who now had now has a second tear in his UCL and isn't might start again in august apparently according to the angels um you know and you've got uh you know you had brett honeywell tear like need tommy john so he's not going to pitch this year uh you had force whitley you know take a 50 game suspension and then have you know the performance of every astro starter be astronomical So, I mean, not much opening there for him either. So it's like you're left with Kopech and, you know, a handful of other guys. And then you're left with, you know, the White Sox making decisions around service time and when they want to, you know, making financial decisions with their players as to when's the best time to bring them up and start getting them major league exposures. So uh, it does, I mean... It is certainly more different for, for pitchers and hitters. And, I mean, you've got the interest, the odd situation with Juan Soto where, like, no one expected him to be up this year at 19. Uh, and it just happened because, you know, the the Nationals are in their last year with Bryce Harper. Uh, they had just a rash of, of injuries, one after the next with their outfield, and they needed to do something, and it's it worked out for them. Um, but, unfortunately, when it comes to pitchers, that those situations just haven't really arisen yet.
2: Well, um, as a side note, and we're not a current of events podcast by any means, uh, we don't pride ourselves upon it, but you saw that Brian Goodwin got traded to the Royals, and I I couldn't help but think that that largely happened because of, well, Goodwin was out of options, but also because he was a very useful player last year, and he really hasn't had much of a chance to around some injury issues to really sustain himself this year, and a lot of that is because they realize that they have Juan Soto, they have the big uh, Adam Eaton contract, you still have Harper for the rest of the year, but you also have Victor Robles on the way. And Michael Taylor hasn't done anything to really diminish his stock uh, either. I mean, he's been a very important fantasy asset who was now who is now sitting on the bench pretty regularly in the nation's capital. Um, but uh, other than that, I just, you know, I, I just really wanted to mention that we went through this process in the in the draft where much earlier than I suspected, people started grabbing for aces in my three-sport draft, and it occurred to me very quickly that there really was not pitchers that I was all that excited about reaching for uh, once I got past the top Seven or eight pitchers that I really liked uh, i was I was pretty dubious of almost all the other entities, and there is like a smaller group uh right beyond that that, that you certainly could uh you know start this uh, plan b if you will uh plan b being you know oh well i'm going to get two or three guys and i'm going to piece together an ace. Do you like to do that in drafts andrew uh
0: I have notoriously avoided it, so I mean. Uh, in most of my drafts this year, I took, I I was taking starters in the first two rounds. So, uh, I think in every draft this year, I have either, uh, Max Scherzer or Luis Severino. Um, because I didn't want to, I didn't like the, I'm not a really trusting person when it comes to pitchers. So it was like, I want to get somebody really like, I want to get a stud really early and then I'll build through the glob, uh, and hope for the best that way.
2: And I mean, you really, once you get to the glob, you really don't have much choice. I mean, you sort of have to pick your flavor. There's not a whole lot you can do about it, Uh, which to me is a feeling of helplessness that uh, I try to avoid to begin with. And we're going to, today's player selections are largely um, about frustration by and large, and we're going to sort of, uh, I posed this question to Andrew. I want to ask him the percent chance that he thinks that these guys recover or establish themselves into acehood yet this year and why exactly he feels that way about about these pitchers. I just want to mention one other, you know, some of this frustration is not going to be about the guys that are on this list. I mean, just a, a small list of pitchers that have really, uh, seen their stock tumble this season in a very heavy way uh, is sort of started by uh, Zach Godley, of course, who people wanted to push up towards the upper tier. But we also have Luis Castillo, who uh, has really crippled teams this year by being uh, looking like he's on the brink of coming out of uh, uh, his doldrums all year long, while he absolutely has not. Okay, and there's also this Madison Bumgarner, this aging group that we've always like, we've always just fell back on Madison Bumgarner. Uh, I've I have not, but many people have, you know, have been pointing towards a Jeff Samarja return, towards a, uh, you know, towards a return of the of Johnny Cueto. Uh, these guys have not rebounded nearly to where we thought they would. And so right now seems like an especially thin time and where it seems incredibly important to get one of the top uh ten guys that you really like because there is about ten guys that could be included in that in that ace hood uh but it just depends on your personal preference well let's talk about a guy who I think has really fallen off and he's uh near and dear to me because uh He was obviously a very important brewer rental uh, in the not-so-distant past, and that's the uh, ever-pedantic, always-askew Zach Greinke, who is perhaps the thinking man's pitcher of all thinking men, if you will. Uh, Zach Greinke, of course, you know, started his career sort of slowly because he was having some, uh, sort of getting his his mental status exactly right. You know, he had some uh, had some mental issues early in his career but now he's 34 years old and he's been going into this year he was one of the most reliable seemed like the most reliable guy you could pick in the in the top 10 then of course spring training came around and the velocity issues came up again which they have in recent years but his velocity really never recovered and now we have a guy who appears to be doing it with uh with smoke and mirrors. Would you agree with that? What do you think Zach Greinke's chances are of getting back into that sort of top nine or ten discussion, Andrew?
0: Um, In, like, moving forward, it gets tough, right? I love Zach Greinke. Like, I love the thinking man's pitcher. Uh, And that's, you know, he's a guy I do believe in. Like, when I look at his numbers and I think, like, wow, 9.51, like – when you look at his like just the raw stats of like, what's his K for nine look like? Looks good, nine point five. What's his walk per nine look like? Looks great, one point six seven. Um, you know his K for walk ratio is up from where it was last year, but and, and I mean I, I'm going to put it at about sixty five um, percent, because I think he is. I don't think velocity matters as much to Greinke as it does to some other pitchers because he can make up for it with command um, and with you know having an advanced knowledge of, of baseball. I mean, we, we've seen change in his profile this year uh, just in pitch usage. So he's become more, uh, more change-up heavy and less slider heavy and probably also has to do partially with the, with that velocity drop. I'm just getting that in front of me here, but um, yeah, like he's changed usage on those. Essentially, he's just swapped one for the other, Uh, and for the most part, like when you look, when I look through and see what he's done, uh, I was a little surprised to see that his hard contact was up, stark like up seven percent, and his soft contact was down three percent, and mostly because it's uh, his. The contact out the outside the zone is where the gains have been made um, by his adversaries. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'll be really interested to see how Granky goes in drafts because I think he's a guy that you'll probably, who might fall back closer to the glob next year. Um, And if that's the case, he'll be somebody I'll be really interested in and probably own quite a bit of. Uh, But if that's not what occurs, then you're going to have to pay. You know, kind of a a second, third, fourth uh, round price for him. Uh, he's probably getting priced out because you are going to continue to incur that risk of uh, the velocity probably continuing to to go down, and eventually, you know, that will probably lead to uh, his effectiveness dropping off starkly with it.
2: Well, I, I like to make this analogy. It just came up to me. Uh, it just came to me right now that. When Greinke was younger, and he had incredible stuff to go along with this command, you know, and he, and he was a Cy Young candidate, and he's got one of those in his belt already. When he was out on the mound, he sort of had this look about him that, you know, that he was he was sort of overthinking himself, uh, but he was uh, quite effective. Like he, he looked like a master at his craft. Uh, the few times that I've watched Greinke pitch this year, he looks somewhere between on the mound. He looks somewhere between uh, a, a teenage kid struggling really bad at a test and a woman in her fifth hour of childbirth. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just it it looks it looks like it's written all over his face that what used to come so much easier for him, he now has to. Uh, you know, think and guile his way through, and Andrew's absolutely correct. You look at the numbers and you say to yourself, "Well, what's the issue here?" Okay, if you just look at the all these results numbers, if you look at the radar gun, you're trying to figure out how in the world he's doing it, because he's really not throwing harder than Brent Suter. Okay, he, he really isn't, and so you know, it's that moment which I heard the other day, like. You, you, when somebody swings through a Zach Grinke fastball right now, they get this look on their face like, where is the hole in my bat? How did this happen? And uh, that's, you know. With Lucky Landslots, you can
1: get lucky just about anywhere. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You
2: no know, and just because in the last couple years, and he's been a pretty high mileage guy, you know, the Dodgers leaned on him really hard, especially, you know, it, it with it trending downward and it seemingly not coming back to where he thought it was going to, like he. He eschewed all the worries about him in spring training. Zach Grinky was like, yeah, you know, this is going to happen. And then by the end of spring training, you're like, oh, my gosh, like, we could really be in trouble. Like, the leagues where I waited back and said, I'm going to take Grinky as my steady guy and I'm going to take all upside picks, I was absolutely frightened by the end of spring training and you know they pushed back his starts he was doing starts on the backfield I mean there's stuff going on here that did not look good at all and so I think that's got me maybe more frightened than the numbers should I am one of those guys that I think uh, Andrew would like to be drafting with because uh, clearly uh, I'm probably not uh, giving him enough credit for what he can be going forward and Lord knows he makes enough money uh, with that monstrous deal that he signed with Arizona, <laughs> that uh, that you know he's going to be going out there giving us everything that he can, and uh, he does seem to be that kind of guy. So maybe I'm oh. I'm 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 overly alarmist. Do you think I'm overly alarmist well, about Granky?
0: Maybe, but I'll, I'll I'll ask you I'll ask you this because I think um, you'll be able to contextualize this better than most. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying that these pitchers are exactly the same, but like. You are somebody that would have played fantasy through much of Greg Maddox's career, and the like. The career arc in like how they approach the game and those types of things seem similar to me. And I mean, obviously, Maddox also saw a significant velocity drop, especially at the end of his career. Like, if you think of how you how Greg Maddox was drafted later in his career, like probably essentially after he left the Braves to, you know, how we now think how you're now thinking of Zach Greinke. Is there any parallels here to be drawn?
2: I think there's a lot of parallels to be drawn. Uh, I would say this. um, It's probably, this is probably romanticizing history. Um, And I was, I've never been a huge Braves or a huge Cubs fan. But it appears as if Maddox really never quite had the stuff that Grunky did. It appears looking back on it. Now uh, you know obviously these, these two performance arcs seem to have you know crossed and come back together now. Um, and so I certainly understand the analogy and I certainly think that Grunky is somebody who who, is, who portends to be especially useful in, uh, in over the next two to three years at least yet uh, because of uh, the situations that he's in and because of exactly how he can control things in the game that other pitchers can't. It's amazing how some pitchers cannot turn into pitchers. They're throwers and they're good at it, and when they try to become uh, pitchers, they have no chance. Whereas, uh, you know, a guy like Greinke uh, sort of morphed into it, uh, just sort of was, was so thoughtful that he, he thought his way into being a very good pitcher as well as having really good stuff, and now is leaning on just the fact that he's a very good pitcher. Uh, I do think it's an accurate analogy. I, think, I, I do think that Greinke's stuff appeared to be better um, longer Uh, than than Maddox's did which is it's really high praise uh, to say the least because Maddox was obviously uh, a a pitching man's pitcher uh, of the highest level well let's uh, let's move on to a a different uh, let's move on to somebody different let's move on to Carlos Carrasco who's a guy at the beginning of the year uh, the first thought I have is that he was he was lumped in right next to our man Jacob deGrom who is one of the uh, biggest pitching success stories of the year? And Carlos Carrasco has held on to a number of good peripheral stats and has uh, seen himself be relatively healthy with 110 innings in so far. Uh, but uh, the numbers are not aligning themselves very well. He's got a ZRA is still up over four. What do you think the chances are that Carlos Carrasco? Uh, recovers to being a, a true ace next year
0: uh pretty low I, i'll say i don't know in the 25 to 33 percent range uh I, I mean i i wouldn't have bought i, I guess i didn't buy in on Crasco being an ace coming into the year um but that being said like i understand why people would and uh he was a guy that I just was kind of priced out on. But that being said, I think he's a great buy candidate right now just because of uh I mean, yeah, he's got a four oh three ERA, but his, his FIP and his ex FIP are about half a run or so lower. More than half run actually each. So um and then you contextualize that with <laughs> uh you know, teams are most of the teams that the good teams are playing are only getting worse now this time of year. They are like unlikely to get better. So, you know, as the the terrible teams in that division, like, you know, the Tigers and the White Sox and and the Twins sell off some of the assets and bring up younger players, they're probably, you know, just going to face easier and easier lineups against more inexperienced players. So uh, I, I'm not buying Carrasco being an ace next year. I'm buying him probably as like a third tier starter uh partially being aided by you know the fact that his division isn't going to be any probably any better next year
2: well you know i mean his walk rate is down uh significantly like over a quarter run per nine which is a really good sign uh he's actually pitched uh you know a, a big amount for him Already, you know, so there's something to be said for that. Uh, You know, I think the Indians have been praying to get back to where they were, uh, you know, in the not so distant past against the Cubs, and actually have their starting pitching uh, be intact. And uh, you know, perhaps this is the year that that actually happens. But Carrasco is a guy that I have, uh, I've always been a doubter of. Uh, for some reason, it's just uh, sort of the fits and spasms that came up through his uh, development. I didn't like a whole lot, and uh, I, I saw a guy that uh, I, I felt was pretty injury-prone. You know, before 2017, he had only pitched more than 100, and, uh, he had only pitched more than 140, more than 134 innings once at the major league level, uh, which I thought was uh, was pretty crazy. And of course, he's the pack has fallen back to him on that. You don't really expect big innings from almost any starter right now. And if they're a younger starter, you know, they're going to get protected to a point where perhaps his uh, lack of uh, lack of innings eating is not quite the concern that it used to be. So I'm. I'm still pretty dubious about Carlos Carrasco. I would not. How would you feel next season if Carlos Carrasco was your number one starter? How would you feel? Pretty bad.
0: <laughs> I, I would feel like I failed miserably, um, and i will think of it this way: like if I'm if I'm taking Carlos Carrasco as my number one starter, I'm taking him where in like what like? You're taking him in what the sixty, like probably in the sixty to eighty range. You would think. Which means you probably need to be like you probably taking consecutive pitchers because you I, I would think you'll want to ensure that bet um, with you know somebody else from that from that pack, uh, which is I suppose some ways yet to be seen because uh, we haven't seen what next year looks like yet. But uh, yeah, that I mean that's how I'd be looking at it.
2: All right, well let's let's get the lightning rod pitcher out of the way, and, and I do think I do think he's the lightning rod uh, because uh, p- opinions seem to uh, vary so widely upon him. And let's talk about Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw went as the sixth pitcher off the board in uh, the three-sport draft, which of course is down from his number one status that he's or number one slash two status that he's held for the last. You know, five or six years seemingly. I don't exactly know what to make of the prospects of Clayton Kershaw completely bouncing back into full blown acehood. And a lot of that comes from the fact that I don't like the lingering back issue and the fact that it's reared its ugly head three times in recent years. Uh, But what do you think the percent chances are that uh, Clayton Kershaw uh, bounces back to be uh, an an anchor, a a steady ace? Uh,
0: Um, By the measure of – if we're going to measure Clayton Kershaw – well, first thing I think we need to do is kind of bring our memories of Clayton Kershaw into perspective. Yeah. like, I think if we're going to think of Clayton Kershaw as an ace, as a guy that can give you 160 innings and and strike out more than the batter per inning, I like the odds of that. I, I think you're hopefully getting... Uh, I mean, I'll give that a say a 70... Uh, we'll say 80% chance that he can do that. Um, I think he's still on pace to probably hit 160 innings this year, or he'll get pretty close to it. And, you know, he's kind of like, he's been hurt. I get it. He loses time every year. And this is why I don't... Like, he should be... Like, I think right now he's probably, like, the fourth best pitcher when I think of fantasy terms. Like, if I'm going to draft them out, you know, this year we we had the, you know, four aces. You had Scherzer, Kershaw, Sale, and Kluber. I think of Kershaw probably as the fourth guy because he's the least reliable of the four. Um and and yeah I mean the I mean on top of that, who knows what the the Dodgers look like next next year you can expect they'll be competitive, but they seem to have these bits and spurts where they forget how to play baseball for extended periods of time, fall back in the race, and then conceivably every year in the second half find a way to to jump to leap back forward and show that they're a good team so um yeah i I gotta put it at I, I'm still going to give Kershaw the benefit of the doubt um. I do appreciate your back concerns. I think that's fair, especially, you know, of a guy of his stature. Like, he's not small by any means. So, like, that back has to stretch to, to give him his release point, everything else that he needs. So, um, but I think as, if he finishes year healthy and pitches well, that people will think of him exactly as they have thought of him in the past as being you know potentially the best pitcher in baseball
2: yeah well I uh, I exaggerate to people and I I say that uh, regularly that that people seem to forget exactly how much usage is on Clayton Kershaw Uh, meaning that when he was a young left-hander and uh, the Dodgers were largely good enough to have plenty of playoff experience you're looking at a guy who you know, through over 225 innings in four years out of five, uh, as well as playoff, you know, as well as as playoff appearances, uh, and I, I probably am overstressing and being overly uh, phobic of injury concerns when it comes to Clayton Kershaw. Uh, I I don't deny that and. Partially why I share that with you is because in the draft that I was just in, I was ready to say, well, I waited, and I didn't start my uh, my fantasy baseball part of the three sport until well after most everyone else had. So uh, I, I felt like there was going to be a lull in how many Players were taken off the board, and I wanted to get a fan I wanted to get my fantasy ace and all of a sudden pitchers started falling off the board uh klubers de they started falling off the board uh, uh de was moved up into the top four, which his season seems to suggest is uh certainly plausible this year <laughs> but anyway They're you just to
0: me, but oh absolutely I mean if de plays for the Mets next year what's his like what is his true value like would you like? I think if you're going to play the "Would you rather" game here, like I still feel like you you want Kershaw more than you want Degrom.
2: Well, I mean, and there's obviously this goes into a lot of our discussion that we had today. Is that there really isn't a pitcher that that you're saying is completely risk-free, uh, regardless sure. of how we're how we're stamping them? Uh, and Degrom has had some injury concerns, but on paper. On paper, for me personally, I would rather have DeGrom. Um, but
0: I'll, 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 there's there's one stat that, uh, like, as long as he's a Met, right? And as long as Kershaw's a Dodger, as it stands right now, like, how many games more do you think the Dodgers win than the Mets? Like, 30? 20? Yeah. I mean, I think that, like, that's a factor. Like, you're, the pitcher's, the starting pitcher's ability to win games is still important in fantasy baseball whether we want to admit to it or not right and i understand that's why people want to say like like even if we can say degrom is the better pitcher his ability his potential for winning games is less than kershaw's and that has to be factored in um and i think you're also looking at like the best you're ever going to see from jacob degrom as well so like is it going to be that good next year is it going to are you going to get less than that? Possibly, but uh, I, I mean, if if I'm putting my horses in the race, I, I'm probably gonna rather bet on Kershaw and bet on Degrom.
2: Well, I certainly uh, we're we're comparing Cadillacs, especially if we're, <laughs> if we're considering yeah. if we're considering Kershaw, um, you know, to be uh, close to his peak form, um, you know, that that he can be now. Uh, you know, I think one of the things that's tempting to do with a guy like Kershaw is it's tempting to think that his upside is fully what it's been in the past, Okay, which I think is a, a bit of a stretch. I mean, we're talking about a guy when people were not striking out so much was striking out, you know, upward of 10 or, you know, 10 to 11 batters per nine, which was a rarity then. It really was. And, you know, if he was in that form right now, he would be up probably around 13 to 14 Ks per nine. I heard a very interesting take, uh, an analogy I really liked a lot uh, this weekend when somebody was somebody asked uh, what it was like watching people root for Tiger Woods now. And this analyst turned back and said, you know, it's a lot like, it's, it's a lot like, people are chasing something that's not there anymore it's like guess what I used to be thin okay but those (laughs) days are gone okay Clayton Kershaw being as dominant sub you know sub 2 ERA dominant automatic Cy Young that version of Clayton Kershaw to me appears to be gone and it's quite a statement that it's certainly understandable for someone to take uh, Clayton Kershaw as a top five pitcher or above Jacob deGrom, who has a sub two ERA. Like, this is a lesser version of what he used to be. And oh, it, and
0: absolutely. He, and that's that's why I, I started the, my initial statement about Kershaw of if your expectation of him is that he's only going to pitch 160 or 170 innings and only strike out like and give you a 9K per 9, Then I think that this is what you're what you should be looking at. But I mean, to be fair, if you're going to have the Degrom versus Kershaw discussion, like how do you discount one's injury history without the other, knowing that you know uh, Degrom's only pitched over 200 innings once in his career so far, and only twice over like 150. So like, I, I just don't think you can necessarily say like, well, this guy's been injured before and therefore, but I. And use it against one, but not use it against the other.
2: Yeah, that's that's true. And I think part of it comes down to the wrongful concept that it's a back. <laughs> I, that's, I think that's part of where my irrational concern uh, could be stemming from. You know, like, it seems like other stuff is more fixable. When your back hurts, you can't do anything exactly comfortably or right. Uh, and there's still a societal stigma when it comes to back injuries that you know you do not want to have back surgery. That's like a, across our society, <laughs> you know, which uh, we don't have as nice a health system as you guys as you do in Canada. But there's there is this paranoia around all forms of back injuries. Um, that uh is no reason for me to think, oh well the stuff that had that happened to Jacob deGrom, which is the same injury that Michael Fulmer had, well that's just an arm injury. Yeah. <laughs> why would why would we be concerned about him <laughs> having uh, problems with his pitching arm when he's a pitcher? Why would we be concerned about that? Uh you know? Uh but we have this like concept in our head that that the arm is more fixable than the back. Would you agree with that?
0: Uh yeah, I think as a concept it, it would appear that uh people are more concerned about backs than they are with arms which is <laughs> hilarious really like considering how like if we just roll the numbers out on how many pitchers we we lose every year to arm injuries versus how many we lose to back injuries it seems kind of crazy
2: it's very true i mean like i like i said but here's where i'm going to blow your mind because i had this moment in the draft where i realized i was going to be taking a pitcher and the pitcher i was going to be taking was likely to be the you know 6th or 7th pitcher off the board and i was prepared to take aaron nola before i would have taken clayton kershaw and the guy in front of me happened to take kershaw and i notably to myself went Whew. <laughs> oh you know thank god i don't have to live with the idea that maybe You know, I passed on Clayton Kershaw, you know, to take a guy who's been good for a year and a half. Uh, But on top of that, uh, mind-blowing issue, uh, the gentleman who picks after me is my cousin, very good fantasy baseball player in, in this draft, and he took Trevor Bauer. And I'm fairly certain that he would have taken Trevor Bauer over Kershaw. So how uh, how and how much insanity do you feel that that is that I was prepared to take Nola and he was prepared to take Bauer?
1: With the Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No restrictions. Offer play is by law. 18+ terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Over Kershaw. Oh, I mean, we really are talking about the business of predicting the future here, right? Like to me it seems I wouldn't do it like that I'm not saying it's wrong and I'm not saying that both Bauer and Nola can't be better than Kershaw next year. I just think, you know, from the perspective of where I sit right now, looking at it, it's like, uh, I I feel like I would probably still rather have Kershaw knowing just, just, just knowing what I know. Right. I mean, and what I know is not incredibly more than anyone else. I just think, you know, Kershaw's done it in the past. He's made it through those injuries. He's a guy that I think knows how to pitch because he has had to deal with injuries and it hasn't always been a hundred percent. Uh, and that there's still the potential for Kershaw to have a comeback. Not unlike we've seen from a guy like Justin Verlander, uh, who was the best pitcher in baseball before Clayton Kershaw was the best pitcher in baseball. And, you know, make his way back to that form because he does know how to pitch and these other guys are still kind of figuring it out.
2: Yeah, I think that's that's quite feasible and again, that's why I had that feeling of relief when I didn't when <laughs> I couldn't, you know, I couldn't be making an astronomical blunder <laughs> any longer right. in my head. When it when it came down to Nola or Bauer, you know, I said, well, you know, okay. You know, then uh, I feel a lot more comfortable with the fact that I'm about to take Nola. Um, even though uh, Bauer Bauer's strikeout numbers are, are much more eye popping, uh, I think Nola seems a little safer. You agree, Nola a little safer than than Bauer? Or?
0: Uh, no, actually, I, I think Bauer's probably a little bit safer um, because of the team context itself, and because of the stadium context and the divisional context. Uh, all those things kind of point me to Bauer over Nola, but. Um, <laughs> I, I do like i think one of the most interesting things i'm i'm uh one of the things i really like about you drafting this time of year is that you don't have the group think that starts to, starts to like way over top of drafts uh because no one's done it like analysts aren't doing drafts for next year none of these other things have started to happen like no one's even talking about next year's draft really yet so like once that stuff starts to happen, you'll see kind of everyone start to form into this, this line where, you know, it, things just start to move in the same manner for the most part. Uh, so it's nice to see drafts happening this time of year because no one's thought about it yet. So you actually have independent thought going on.
2: Well, I'm also finishing up last year's three sport. And it's, it's fascinating to me that you mentioned that because I own a lot of players in last, year, last year's draft. That's playing out right now, the end of it in three sports. And I own a lot of players because I drafted them before groupthink started. Ozzie Albies, I said, oh my gosh, this guy is, he was the youngest player called up in the Bigs last year, right? By the time we actually got to drafting seats and people were saying, whoa, hey, wow, are we really, we're really jumping <laughs> on the Albies bandwagon, right? I didn't have that time to do that, okay? I also, uh, James Paxton, I drafted last year because, oh, my God, he's having an unbelievable year, you know. So I drafted him on the actual talent that I saw in him. And then he faded at the end of the year. Well, by the time he fades, then his draft star, you know, the tarnish of his of his draft stock fades as well. But I already had him. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you, know, uh, you know, NOLA, I own Nola, NOLA in that league. Anyway, I'm winning last year's baseball league right now i'm up by like seven points and i don't know for sure that i can hang on it depends on a lot of different things but uh there's a number of players that i drafted before group think started and one of them was jacob Degrom, who i took as the fifth pitcher off the board um last year and uh and people seemingly mocked me for thinking f- for having this idea well, in my head that DeGrom could be the fifth best pitcher.
0: Well, I remember one very prominent analyst full-out mocking you last year about about uh, Ozzie Albies and how <laughs> ridiculous it was that that you thought that Al- Ozzie Albies could be a top 10 second baseman this year.
2: Yeah, and now, I mean, uh, you know, it's well thought. This draft that I'm doing is an OBP league, and I already looked at Albies, and that 312 OBP is a little frightening uh, to be drafting in an OBP league. Uh, you know early as a top 25 kind of player with a 312 obp is is a little daunting uh but at the same time the power he's only got 10 steals which is surprising too but regardless of that i mean that is one of the things that i really like about what you just said is that groupthink does help formulate what we think and in a way it shouldn't
0: (laughs) no it shouldn't at all (laughs)
2: Uh, so it is it is kind of crazy um, I do want to move on now, though. Let's talk about a guy that uh, has all the pedigree in the world and then uh, had some struggles, and now he seems to be coming into his own. And I have some skepticism on uh, if he can perform at the level he's performed at this year, and that is Garrett Cole of the now Houston Astros, who uh, seemingly was either fixed or just mentally fixed when he became an Astro. Uh, what do you think are the chances that uh, Garrett Cole is the true ace we're seeing now uh, next year as well?
0: Um, I, I think it's. I don't think it's unreasonable. Uh, Cole's had his ups and downs a little bit this year, and it's been obviously been a lot more up than down, um, as indicated by his you know by by his stellar ERA right now at two point five two. Uh, and his, I mean, his FIP and his ex-FIP have it, him right around 3RA, which is certainly fantastic. I mean, I don't know, like 12, 12.41K per nine is nothing to, to shy away from. Uh, and he did have some struggles kind of, I mean, I, I guess if you want to talk about struggles, like we're, I'm putting this extremely mildly, you know, in all of his starts this year, he's given up 4 four runs only he's not given up more than four runs and he's only done that three times the rest of his starts have been less than uh and probably as many ones and zeros as there are two twos and threes so i mean we've talked about the pedigree like his pedigree's obviously been wildly fantasized he was you know obviously a first overall pick from the pirates uh we'd seen positive like we kept waiting for that breakout to happen with the Pirates. I think it it happened maybe once or twice, but um, yeah, I mean, he, he keeps doing what he's doing and uh, he'll also be an interesting choice when we move into, into next year with those drafts, because uh, you can make an argument right now that uh, for him being, you know, among the best pitchers in baseball. Well,
2: Mentally, what happened for me is that, you know, uh, this is the way my mind viewed it before I looked at the stats, is that he just came out like gangbusters, like nobody could touch him. And you're looking at a guy who was, you know, regularly striking out, you know, a dozen guys every time he touched the mound for like the first month and a half of the season. Well, I mean, he did have a stretch uh, where I realized – Everything that Andrew said is correct, but he had a stretch where with five out of seven starts, he gave up three, three runs or more, you know, that's the way that the stat can sort of be twisted. And that stretch was, you know, in mid June. So, uh, you have this idea that maybe he certainly hasn't been as dominant as he was. I mean, the thing that's helping him along is he had that unbelievable stretch of strikeouts and now he's still basically striking out over nine over you know one batter per inning in each of his starts now but he doesn't seem to quite have the edge that he had earlier in the season and I did go through and take a pretty strong look at his at his game logs I mean you know he started out with 2 11 strikeout games followed by a 14 strikeout game then he had uh, uh, you know two normal human starts and then it went 12 and 16. That's how he started the season, 11, 11, 14, 5, heaven forbid. That, that's, that's normal <laughs> human pitching. Uh, eight strikeouts in seven innings for a start, followed by 12 strikeouts in six and two-thirds and 16 strikeouts in a, nine, in a nine-inning complete game. shutout. Um, so, you know, how much does that change, you know, where his overall stats are now? I mean, do we expect him to have stretches like that on a regular basis? Or was that this sort of uh, surge of, oh, my gosh, I've freed myself from the land of the pierogies? So that's, I mean, that's the, that's the way this could be looked at from afar, right? Like, okay, well, you know, I've got this huge jolt of energy uh, because, you know, I'm now on the best team in baseball. And I was on a team that was going to avoid adding payroll at all costs. Like, that's seems yeah. to be the, like that would be the narrative do you, For think, sure. do you think I'm oversimplifying the narrative or um, uh,
0: I, I think I think there's a second narrative that exists with it and um and that's you know coming from from the pirates to the Astros uh it looks like it also brought a significant change in uh pitch usage uh using less fastballs throwing more sliders and and curveballs uh, so it's possible that that the high number of strikeouts early is due to players not being able to adjust yet. Um, and that scouting report, scouting report, not evolving with it. I mean, it, it's nice to see in the last two, I mean, he's struck out eight and five and two thirds in his last start, he struck out 11 and sixth start before that. Um, obviously very positive things. Uh, I mean, obviously the bigger problem for him is he's just not going very deep, deep in games. He hasn't, He's only gone, hasn't gone more than six innings in his last five starts, uh, which is another one. I mean, we say innings, but we should, probably should measure this more by a pitch count. It's just not as readily available to us. But uh, I mean, that's that's kind of the, the warning sign I see is that he doesn't go in d- as deep into games as I'd like to see, uh, which for the most part doesn't really matter uh, in a lot of leagues. But if you do play in a quality start league, that's a pretty big, Like, that's a pretty big hit against the pitcher.
2: Well, I just want to say, too, that we we rarely compare uh, fantasy basketball to fantasy baseball. But this is one instance where I think we can. I mean, we're going to see the Red Sox, the Yankees, and the Astros coast, uh, which, of course, is a thing in the NBA. Uh, You know, like, like when you're at which I happen to be picking an NBA league right now, which no one else is basically. Um, But you know, like when I got Kevin Durant at the ninth overall pick, that's the thing that people said, well, you know, how many back to backs is he going to skip, you know, how they're going to get up by 35 points every time they play the Kings, and he's not going to play the fourth quarter. You know, and to a a lesser extent, I think that's one of the things that's happening with Verlander and Cole right now is that they're not they're not pushing them like they could, you know, and especially I mean, we've seen Verlander do it a lot. You know, Verlander just went out there and he he was just he was going to pitch almost eight innings every time he was out there, no matter what. And now they seem to be laying off the gas. Do you think that's true?
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, why wouldn't it be true, (laughs) I I guess, is how I think of it is, you know, I mean, the Astros are only five games up, so they they can't completely lay off the gas because, I mean, flipping the switch is not necessarily an easy thing to do Um, in the like they it's not like the Indians, right? Like the Indians could say, like Kluber. Bauer, you guys are only going to pitch five innings the rest of the way. It doesn't matter how terrible the bullpen is. We'll still win enough games to not lose a nine-and-a-half game lead yeah. against you know, a collection of AAA teams that are sitting below us. So um, so it's a little bit – I think it's a little bit different that way. Um, my guess is that he's not going as deep into games largely because he's – because of the difference in fastball usage uh, probably leads to higher pitch counts in some ways because you're putting less balls in play as you try to fool hitters more often.
2: Yeah. Like I said, I mean, this has been, this is really exactly what I wanted in the Garrett Cole discussion, because there is two narratives and uh, it's curious. uh, Would you have Garrett Cole as a top 10 pitcher going into next year? Do you think that's too aggressive?
0: I think so. I mean, when I think of like checking the boxes, right? Like, can he win 16 games? Yes, check place for the Astros. That that looks good. Is he going to strike out 200 batters? Yep, he's almost there right now. Check that box. Um, is ZRA probably and his whip going to be good? Yeah, I think so. We'll check that box too. So like my only concern is like I don't think he has unless he can figure out how to pitch deeper into games, I don't think he's going to the percentage chance of him winning 16 games or more is less so, like, I would still maybe, like, that, you know, if you're going to put anything, like, a take against him. That's really all it, all it is, right? Because uh, everything, else, everything else is where you want it to be.
2: Well, I mean, uh, I'm briefly going to uh, circle back here and just say that when we speak about narratives, the one thing that I would like to say uh, when it comes to Garrett Cole is I think that his prospect status gives us uh, gives us less pause, and maybe not in a way that it should. Meaning, uh, Garrett Cole really struggled compared to his hype uh, for most of the time that he was a pirate. He had one, you know, excessively good year, uh, but. By and large, other than that, we're talking about a guy whose ERA was, you know, 4.26 last year, 3.88 the year before. Uh, he had his really good year in 2015, but in 2014, he was up over three and a half for, for his ERA. Uh, and I just want to mention, I, I want to make this comparative to DeGrom, okay? Like we have this tendency to assume that since DeGrom did not have the pedigree, you know, uh, Corey Kluber is another guy who did not have the pedigree. Like it takes a larger body of work to prove themselves to us because of the pedigree, which in its own way is a little bit silly. Um, just because obviously we know that this pitching at the major league level is different than when Garrett Cole was pitching at UCLA. You know, Um <laughs> And and so, like, DeGrom has consistently been far better than Cole, uh, you know, in his consistency since he's been called up. But when DeGrom was called up, he was an afterthought because – Rafael Montero was supposedly the pitching stud <laughs> of the Mets. So do you see the dichotomy that I'm playing here? Like we're, we're assuming that Garrett Cole can do this for repeated years, that there's a much better chance that he can because he was the number one overall pick, which we, we don't do with uh, uh, the Astros' number one pick who uh, got traded to the Phillies and Mark something. I can't even remember his name. We don't, do, we don't do that with him. Do you see what I'm saying? <laughs>
0: well, to, to be fair, like I don't think I'm making that... Like I'm not saying that Cole can sustain it more... is more likely to sustain it than than DeGrom. But I think when you look at the numbers you get from Cole right now, because they're not sub-two style ERAs, right? Where you're like, well, can anyone really sustain this? Like, if, if DeGrom can sustain a sub-two ERA, then he's probably the best pitcher in baseball, right? Like in an era where, you know, we're hitting more home runs than ever, you know, I haven't looked to see where the trend is on runs scored yet this year, but um, I I mean, things seem to weigh on both sides of it. I, I, I just, when I, when I think of percent chance outcomes, I think like I weigh down DeGrom because there's no reason to believe that the Mets are going to contend for anything next year. And I don't know if they're gonna win enough games for him to provide you the same type of value that you could get from some of the other guys who are going to go a little bit later than him because they can also strike a lot of people out they're gonna probably win more games, and I would say that there's a you know within half a run that they'll be in this, with the same same eras
2: well I mean uh to make this to cut short the idea that we've sort of managed to turn this into a Jacob DeGrom podcast, but we're talking about, (laughs) we're talking about A's uh, Aces. So it's understood right now when you're talking about a guy with a sub two ERA. Uh, But I just want to mention too, that I'm pretty sure that the guy who took DeGrom as uh, the third pitcher off the board in three sport was not thinking that he knew for sure that DeGrom was going to be a Met next year which, of course, is a side issue with other variables. You don't know if somebody can blow their doors off. You don't know if they're going to trade him over the winter. You don't know if they're going to trade him next year's trade deadline. I mean, we don't know any of these things. Uh, We know that league-wide, seemingly, the industry believes that they should trade uh, DeGrom before he gets too close to the end of his ARB window which is two years from now. So uh, I mean, that's just another thing that's going on with uh, trying to value uh, Jacob deGrom going forward, um, is all I'm saying. And, and yeah. by the way, your opinion, Andrew, is by and large what you hear from people within the industry is that the Mets do not have the guts to trade Jacob Gram. <laughs> that's what that's what you hear within the industry and sort of the peripherals of the industry and media is saying oh my god why would you not trade jacob de before you chance you know not being able to rebuild a system that's so broken uh as the mets are overall as an organization well let's uh let's move on one more time uh one more time here let's move on to james paxton uh Big maple, if you will, and this should be this is right in your wheelhouse, is it not? <laughs> uh, on on the surface, you're saying, okay, well, I mean, we've got this short stint on the DL right now, but it appears that Paxton is uh, is going to pitch on Tuesday. And on the surface, just looking at highlights and stuff and not delving into it, you say, oh my gosh, Paxton has been an ace. And then you look at the number and you say, how does he have a 3.7 ERA? Uh, <laughs> it just, uh, you know, maybe it's just a comparison for draft stock because, like I said, Paxton's draft stock had taken a pretty significant hit by the time we drafted. So uh, what is your take on James Paxton? And should we be uh, pretty excited about him going forward?
0: I think that we should. I mean, I know the ERA is not special. Like it, like it was. it's not the 2.98 it was last year. Um, but I, I think like in today's day and age, a three point seven year. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day. Couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day low. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right. Isn't bad. Um, it's, I mean, his strikeouts are up. His walks are about where they were. He's really been, been, eaten, been eaten up by the home run ball. Um, and that's, a, you know, that's what's led to the much higher ERA. But when I look at like when I think about James Paxton, I'm worried about the innings pitch because he's never pitched more than 145 in a year. And he hasn't done that since 2013. So to see that he's already pitched a hundred, almost 120 innings this year is, uh, is really great because that's, that's forever been the hit on him is he can't go deep into games. Um, and so, or not deep into games, but he doesn't throw enough innings to, to make him worth, you know, a lot of times where he's going. So, uh, with him being on pace for what looks like it could be a 180 inning year this year, you know, if he's giving you that, you know, 11.6 K per nine, uh, the wins are going to be there. They, I mean, the Mariners have been pretty good. They'll conceivably be better when Cano comes back off the de- uh, from suspension in August. You know, they could actually be making a run for it. Um, and all of that being said, I still stand by the point that uh, although James Paxton is known as the Big Maple. I don't think there's a lot of maple trees in B.C. where he's from, so he really should be the big redwood, but that's beside the point.
2: (laughs) Well, there we go. That's analysis you can't get just anywhere, folks. (laughs) You've got to have a true true Canadian uh, in your midst to get that kind of analysis. Um, I guess I just – when you took the gamble at the beginning of the year uh, on Paxton, you said – oh my gosh, this guy's got amazing stuff. And he does have amazing stuff. I mean, we saw it in his in uh, in his in his no-hitter earlier this year. Uh, but the thing that there's there's a couple narratives going on here as well is that if you took that gamble and you've gotten him mostly healthy, you were hoping for better than a 3.7 ERA. And the fact that he's striking out over 11.5 guys per nine uh, before the entire world started striking out right, you just said that's unbelievable, but there's, like, a number of guys who are striking out people at this rate, so, uh, somehow or another, 11.69 Ks per nine becomes semi-disappointing, which is hard to fathom, um, but, uh, uh, the point being is that, you know, his FIP and his ex-FIP are still well below 3.7, so I do think that you have to, uh, you have to play these things off of each other. I think there is going to be some concern. Do you think? Uh, do you think? Would you be surprised if he was taken as a sort of a top twelve-ish pitcher next year, or do you think that's where he's going to go?
0: I don't know if I'd be surprised, because uh, I think when you when you break it down and you start lining these guys up next to each other, you know. Because, I mean, essentially we have this group and then, you know, we add, you know, Kluber and Sale and Scherzer and Severino to that. Um, you know, it, it's it's not unforeseeable, uh, especially if, you know, the Mariners continue to make moves to get better. Uh, which, if we know anything f- about, you know, Jerry DiPoto that runs the team, he's going to make trades, so... You know, he'll clear out the farm system, like, and that team will only be good until there's no farm system left and there's nothing left to trade. But, um, yeah, I mean, the the team looks like it should remain competitive at least for another year or two. And as long as that's the case and Paxton can stay healthy, like 150 plus inning healthy, I I think he's probably a a top 12 pitcher value.
2: So uh, you would put his percentage chance of being a staff buoying ace next year. Uh, pretty high, uh? If uh, given health, for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would put it in. I, I don't trust the health. The like the track record shows me not to trust it. Uh, so I'd probably put it in like the forty forty percent range.
2: Yeah, and that's uh, you know, it's it's one of those things when you get into deeper leagues, then replacement value gets different. You know, when you're in a ten team league, which uh, it's, it seems bizarre to me that people play ten teams <laughs> anymore. Uh, but when you're in a ten team league or even a 12-team league, there's a difference in replacement value over the 14, 15, 18-team leagues that we're prone to around yeah. FW, uh, FWFB. Uh, so that, that injury risk becomes significantly more when you can't go out and, uh, and pick up a halfway decent pitcher off the waiver wire. Let's briefly touch upon one other person because uh, he's someone, and uh, I can get back to my cousin Dave on this uh, Dave seems to to be uh, uh, strapped to the Steven strasburg wagon for much of the last few years, which is understandable uh, amongst the filthy stuff that he has and being a national uh, but this year is not exactly going uh, according to script for steven strasberg and i think that's largely being undersold for exactly uh you know how big of a reason this is that the nationals you know come into this series with the brewers here uh below 500 uh so what do you think about steven strasberg's chances as a 30 he'll be in his age 31 season next year what do you think the chances are of him being a staff buoying ace
0: uh you know he he's got all the tools and a lot like Paxton, health has been the concern. But um, you know, at he has. You know, he's thrown 180 innings or 175 innings three times in his career. Um, but I feel like there's a second concern that may or may not have been highlighted from the his last the exit to his last start, uh, and I wonder if that's not motivation. Because, like, I don't know if you saw this, but, uh, like, Scherzer apparently was waiting for him when he came out of the dugout. And it looks like they had it out, like, immediately after. Um, So I do have some concerns about, like, does he want it enough? Um, Because he does have all the talent in the world. He could, I, I think if he stayed healthy and consistently stayed healthy, he would be probably, you know. He could could have been a top five starting pitcher in baseball. Um, But if he's not motivated and, you know, the Nationals could do some interesting things in the offseason or even before this season ends, because, um, I mean, it appears as if losing Harper is not going to be the huge loss initially they thought it would be if Juan Soto continues to, if his future looks as bright as it does right now. So, I mean, maybe Strasburg's a guy that could get moved. And if they don't believe in him they've and they're having problems that way, I don't think it would be necessarily be unforeseeable to, for them to say, let's cut bait, let's move on from this guy while we still possibly can. I mean, he's still owed. I mean, in current terms, he's only making $15 million. That's actually pretty reasonable for a, a starting pitcher of his caliber uh especially moving into free agency next year when it looks like teams are just going to be handing the whole farm over
2: yeah he signed a seven-year 175 million dollar deal that runs from 2017 to 2023 uh which you know uh does does seem a bit prohibitive um on the trade front, at first, just because of the length of the deal and given his health, but certainly not given his performance, uh, which I think is what you're what you're pointing to. It's just odd that within the context of our discussion, you know, I, I was talking about what it looks like for Zach Grinke out on the mound. You know, he's got this uh, uh, Grenke's got this way to sort of uh, be grumbling and sort of look uh, look concerned. Uh, but always seem focused at the same time, and that's never been the feeling that I got from Strasbourg. So I do find it kind of interesting that you're pointing to this, which is something that I had not heard before, but I had always sort of suspected, just from uh, just from judging his countenance, if you will, uh, out on the mound. But uh, I I think we're going to see a landscape next year where Strasbourg's going to take his first ultra. Um, ultra hit and value that's not sort of only going to be concerns about his health because uh, this is you know, his his stuff has played back to the pack in its own way. I mean, now, despite the fact that he's sort of on pace to reach at least that sort of 140 inning mark that you sort of maybe hoped for, even though he's on that pace, we're looking at a guy with a 3.9 ERA uh, and uh, his 10.65 Ks per nine is not what it used to be. Like we're we live in a world where when I drafted Aaron Nola and he only had a little over one K per nine, I realized that I was going to have to make up make up for his strikeouts somewhere else. <laughs> but, you know that's that's the world we live in. That's not the world that it used to be even three or four years ago. So uh, anyway, I just thought it was interesting to include him because he is part of the frustration, of course, of the people that no longer are in the discussion sort of as a top six or seven pitcher and Strasburg sort of sort of peaked out as a guy that people were taking as a top six or seven pitcher overall in the game so uh, I thought he was an interesting name to talk about and we haven't talked about him very much and people seemingly are not talking very much about the massive failing that is going on in in uh, you know in in DC right now. I mean, we had this sort of mirage. It sort of reminded me of a checkoff play where people don't exactly understand how poorly their position is Uh, watching the All-Star game and everybody (laughs) clapping and everything. Like, uh, the Phillies are not going away. And when you're under 500, you're not the prime prime people to win a a wild card. You know, and you have a ton of money, and this was your window year. You know, and because this is your last year with Bryce Harper and, you know, Max Scherzer can't pitch forever. Uh, he's trying to prove us wrong seemingly. But do you, do you get what I'm saying there about like sort of this? Oh, is for being, sure. This is being undersold. Like you don't turn on the MLB network and hear, oh, my God, what's wrong? What's wrong in, De- in D.C.? What's wrong in D.C.?
0: Yeah. That was and I think it. a lot of this does have to do with that. Uh, I don't think anyone believes in the Phillies or the Braves. And they look at it and say, well, they're only six games back. They'll they'll still win this division. Um, it'll be interesting if they're still six games back come like the middle of August. Um, well, it'd be more actually to be to be fair, it'd be way more interesting to me if they fell like twelve games back. If they, they go in a big slump and they're like they become like forced sellers at the deadline to see exactly what happens.
2: <laughs> yeah, the next that. La jump, La jumped the gun on uh, on giving so much for Machado, and maybe they could have given less for for Bryce Harper. Now that's yeah. a, now that is a narrative we were not expecting to say to begin the year. Um, you know, I fear I think that's probably unlikely to happen. I mean, the Nationals play the Brewers right now, and uh, the Brewers couldn't hit their own asses with their hands right now, seemingly. Uh, so uh, you know, I, I fear they're probably not going to fall back and make this dream scenario uh, or nightmare scenario for our friends who are Nats fans out there. Uh, But I did think he was an interesting guy to poke a a, – take a little extra look at because there's some stuff going on here that, you know, he hasn't been over a 3.6 ERA. You know, he's only been over a 3.6 ERA once in his career, and he's at 3.9 right now, Strasburg is. So uh, this is a large factor. And Gio Gonzalez seemingly lost his magical pixie dust about a month and a half ago. And uh, so, like, right now, as bad as the Brewers are playing, they miss Scherzer. And when you miss Max Scherzer and you're playing the Nats, you seem to think you have a chance to win every game. And that is, uh, that is uh, you know, do you think that's over-exaggeration or you agree? I...
0: Right now it doesn't look over-exaggerated at all. Um <laughs> But I mean that. I mean I, I do believe that they're going to still find a way to win this division, and at some point in time, and I mean like, Strasburg's ERA is only three point nine, so it's not unforeseeable for him to get that under three point six by the end of the year. I and mean, there's still a lot of games to play. So I mean, what I think will be interesting will be how will the thought of him change if he still manages to get his ERA down to three point five. Uh, and pitches 150 innings. I think people will be kind of hold pat and where they're at with him.
2: Yeah, but uh, I you don't I don't foresee very many people drafting him to be their ace next year. Do you agree with that?
0: Um, I I agree. I think he'll be a nice he would be an, uh a nice number two. Like if you can get a top tier guy that he's somebody it would be maybe nice to add afterwards.
2: But this is not where we hoped we would be within Steven Strasberg's career. Oh, absolutely not. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which is the, which is the odd thing about it. So anyway, but once again, you know, he does have that Garrett Cole thing. If, you know, next year he came out and pitched lights out again, You know, which, uh, you know, we've seen him pitch lights out, you know, 2.52 ERA, uh, you know, just in 2017 alone. But if he pitched lights out again, he would get that sort of Garrett Cole treatment where we assumed that, you know, that that he was going to bounce back automatically versus how we feel about uh, DeGrom, which I always find fascinating. And somehow talking about aces, we did everything but talk about Jacob DeGrom's hairstyle. (laughs) Uh, as as a factor into what's going on, and he wasn't even on our player list. Uh, But anyway, I do think this is really something very important to gauge, and I do think it really matters for people who are playing in keeper leagues, for uh, people who are trying to make trades, exactly what the perceived value is of these aces. I mean, I have a pitching staff that's going bonkers and people in one of my leagues, and people are trying to trade me. Uh, for pitchers and i look out on the waiver wire and i'm not seeing much even in a 12 team league that i really like and i think maybe that's a factor we didn't focus on here is that you know the depth of pitching just doesn't you know that you have much confidence in these aces are a microcosm of the macrocosm there's not a whole bunch of people out on the waiver wire where you go oh well if things just fall right for this guy this guy's really good that's not how you feel about jake junis
0: you know right, I mean? <laughs> and, and and it also goes in line with as you noted previously about like top teams not calling up their best pitching prospects right now, yeah. right? So th- there's no there's nothing else flooding into that market to uh, yeah. to fill the void.
2: And it's in its own way. I mean, what's happened with Walker Bueller? Okay, it was a young pitcher we haven't talked about. Like, is he just getting sort of jacked around because of how the Dodgers screw around with their pitching staff? You know, how about Corbin Burns. Right. Like Corbin Burns is a guy that we thought, you know, he's a top 100 prospect. He coming up for the Brewers. They got Brewers had plenty of offense before they decided to not find their ass with their hands recently. I mean, so you had this idea that maybe these were the guys that were going to bolster pitching. And now Corbin Burns is a long reliever. And I guess that's what Bueller is, too. I, I don't know, or he's like the guy who lets them take uh, their hurt, overpaid guys and give them ten-day vacations. I mean, I don't, I don't know what Bueller is right now, but uh, I think those are important factors to think about too uh, as we go forward. And I think you're going to see uh, even higher stress on trying to get an ace for your staff, which we're seeing right now in the three-sport draft, where we literally had seven pitchers go in 15 picks in round six of a three-sport draft, when pitching, trying to predict pitching eight months from now, you know, how it's going to look, you know, eight or nine months from now is probably folly, but we, we feel like the need that we have to do it anyway. Uh, yeah. So uh, there, there's something <laughs> there's something to be said for that. So, Andrew, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I. I see that you're going to have some hockey stuff starting up and uh, you're recruiting uh, people to help you with your hockey venture this year, which I hope you get. So give us an update on that. Uh, tell us your Twitter feed again and, uh, and we'll get you back to work.
0: <laughs> yeah. The hockey stuff I think is I'm starting to try to plan it. Uh, the most difficult part about, about hockey is that it starts not that long after football. So you got to kind of get yourself positioned into a space where people have uh finish their football drafts and because that's just eats up all of eats minds alive, I think. So uh just trying to get that stuff planned out and see if I'm on my own or if I'm gonna have any help doing it this year. So yeah, I mean kind of in the planning stage we'll uh worry about actualization in uh in the next probably six weeks. But uh and yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Andrew K Dewhurst.
2: All right, Andrew, well, since you're my most, uh, you're, it, and it kind of played itself out, since you're my most regular compadre these days at uh, at FWFB, um, it, uh, it, it only makes sense that I somehow accidentally uh, put you into the uh, draft feed, uh, which is, uh, you know, probably going to feed a lot of our over the next few weeks is going to feed a lot of our uh, our substance and our content. Uh, but I'm glad you seem to be in support of it and uh, enjoying the fact that we're, uh, we're already trying to gauge value and do some stuff for next year because uh, that will be sort of a highlight of the coming weeks, uh, I believe. So I'm Chuck Anderson. I can be reached at Just Chucking It. I am overseeing my first ever three-sport draft, which we've talked about uh, extensively today. Uh, but it's, uh, it's a fascinating process in and of itself, uh, and that I think it does serve a purpose for FWFB. I think it's always good for all of us contributors to be doing stuff together, um, and, uh, and both create, help us create content and, uh, build the relationships that either, uh, help us work on the air or help us fail miserably on the air, which I don't think we've failed miserably yet as far as I know. Please remember to nominate us for the, uh, podcast awards, um, which uh, we would certainly uh, love to do. Uh, we're in conjunction with uh, the Sleeper and the Bust on our promotion of uh, the Podcast Awards, and also uh, with the uh, Pop Goes the World, uh, those podcasts as well. So nominate those three podcasts for us. We would really appreciate it. And uh, as usual, if you have any questions or if you have any questions about starting a three-sport league, now you can reach me at Twitter on Twitter at Just Chucking It. So, thanks for your time. Thanks for your follow, uh, and uh, thanks for uh, everything that the viewers do to make our, our little uh, our little venture venture here uh, one that uh, is is exceptionally rewarding. Thanks to all that, mm-hmm. Andrew. You have yourself a good week, and uh, you you on Sunday you'll be ready for another uh, draft related concept.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>
2: all right everyone have a good week enjoy baseball uh it's a good thing i have the mlb package because if the brewers keep playing how they're playing we're going to spend a lot of time uh (laughs) drifting to other channels so all right thanks a lot have a good week